Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you, Kendra. Sorry, she probably thinks, man, he always steals my thunder every time. Ever since we were kids, he always stole my thunder. Here we go. All right, well, good to have you here this morning. Good morning. Um, as you know, we've been, if you've been with us through the past couple of weeks, we've been going through a series um, called Grace Revealed. And this is a series that's going to take us all the way through this Lenten season, um, all the way through Palm Sunday and Good Friday, all the way up into Easter. And we're going to be going through this series, and we're looking at what grace looks like revealed in the person of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Luke. Um, so I just encourage you, if you haven't already gotten your Lent devotional, um, those, there's some more out on the floor if you haven't gotten that yet. Um, there's just some great devotionals written in there by people in this very congregation that you'll want to check, check out. And also in there, um, there's a reading plan in there. And if you follow that reading plan by the end of Lent, we as a congregation will have read through the entire book of Luke. So you won't want to miss that. There's some more copies out in the foyer. Well, this morning we're going to be spending most of our time um, in Luke 7, so if you want to go ahead and get out your Bibles um, and flip to that, or get out your phones and use the Bible app, but just remember Jesus is watching, so stay on the Bible app. Um, so we're going to be in Luke 7, so you can go ahead and flip there um, while we prepare to read that scripture once again. Um, it's difficult to discern what Simon's intentions were when he invited Jesus to his house that day. Maybe he was trying to trap Jesus in his words somehow during that meal. Maybe he was attempting to make a show of Jesus. Maybe he was even trying to answer the same question that John the Baptist was trying to answer just a few verses earlier. This question, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And it was also just a few verses earlier that Jesus began to voice the accusations that he was beginning to hear that were against him. Just before coming to Simon's house, Jesus says this. He says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and you said, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by all of her children. Just a few verses earlier, Jesus was verbalizing his ministry, that it was not a ministry to the righteous, but rather to the unrighteous, that he was a friend to the miscreants and the reprobates in the world, 
that people rightly accused Jesus of eating with sinners. And that was just a few verses before. And here, even now, Jesus sits at Simon's table to dine. And the irony of this is kind of lost on Simon, who is a Pharisee. Maybe he's the sinner after all. And when Jesus entered, Simon did not wash Jesus' feet. He did not oil his head. He did not kiss, kiss him on the cheek, as was the customary manner of the time. But he simply showed Jesus his place at the table, and in doing so, showed Jesus his cold shoulder. And Simon, all of his life, had fought for piety. He knows the law, he knows what is right, and he holds to the law with a tight fist, never straying from what he believes is true with a legalistic vigor, yet he fails to recognize the true piety which is sitting just across the table from him. It's believed that Jesus and Simon are both reclined at the table with their feet to one side, and other poorer guests were allowed to fill richer people's houses during their meals as long as they stayed to the corners of the room and they only talked amongst themselves and didn't talk to anyone who was sitting at the table. And it's while they're sitting here eating and drinking that a woman from the, the corners of the room, from the margins of the room, steps up to Jesus and kneels at his feet. And everyone in that room, the people on the margins and the people at the table, knew who that woman was. They knew what she did. She was a sinful woman. She was a seducer. She was a prostitute. And when she fell at Jesus' feet, you could hear an audible gasp fill the room. And the murmur began to grow even louder as she actually reached out and began to touch the Savior of the universe. And in one of the most emotional scenes that we see in the Bible, the woman's tears flow unstoppably from her face and they trickle on to Jesus' feet. And with the water from her tears, she carefully massages and mops the dirt and sand from his feet and in between his toes. And after his feet are completely clean, she lets down her hair, which is a definite cultural no-no in Jesus' day. And as an, another louder groan echoes from the room. She gathers her hair in her hands and she begins to sponge away the remainder of her tears from Jesus' feet. It's then that from behind her she pulls out this alabaster jar of perfume and she carefully pours the oil onto Jesus' feet and a pleasant aroma fills the room. And as the crowd watches, dollar signs begin to flicker in their eyes as they see this expensive perfume pouring over this vagabond's feet and wasted onto the floor. Simon, the head of this household, he's in awe of what he's seeing occur. He may be more shocked than anyone in the room, and a judgmental thought flickers through his mind. If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him. If this man were, was a prophet, he would know how much sin this woman has in her life. But he's jolted away from that thought when he hears his name, Simon. And he looks up, and the man sitting across from him, Jesus, was saying his name. And the woman still knelt at Jesus' feet and she is weeping. I have something to tell you, he says. Tell me, teacher, Simon responds. The dinner party had kind of taken an awkward turn, so Simon was ready just to change the subject. So he was glad that Jesus began to say something. And here, Jesus shares one of his shortest parables. Two people owed a certain money lender. One owned him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them loved him more? And he looked at Simon with that question. The answer was obvious, Simon said. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt to be forgiven. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. And he gestures to the woman who's still kissing his feet. Do you see this woman, he says, gesturing towards her. You did not give me water 
for my feet when I walked in, but she wets my, te- wets my feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair. And you did not give me a kiss when I walked in, but ever since I've been here, this woman has been kissing my feet. And you did not give me oil for my head whenever I entered your house, but she has poured expensive perfume all over my feet. It was then that Simon's face turned as red as a cherry, and he looked all around the room, and he saw that all eyes were on him. And Jesus continued, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus reached down, and he took the the woman's chin and pointed her face towards his eyes. And he said, as another tear began to fall from her cheek, And he spoke these words to her that would ring in her mind for years and years and years to come. Those words, your sins are forgiven. And a smile lit up on her face. A great buzz began to fill the entire room and he began to hear hear pieces of conversation. He heard these words, who is this that even forgives sins? But Jesus ignores the crowd and he speaks to the woman again. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It is here, in this encounter with the sinful woman, that the majesty of Christ is on display. It's at the feet of Jesus is where the sinner finds forgiveness and the prideful are brought low. It is here at the feet of Jesus where the grace of Christ is revealed. And I think there are a few things that we can learn from this story of the sinful woman, this nameless prostitute that crashes the party here in Luke 7. So read with me along. In chapter 7, verse 36, it says this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. The first thing that we can learn from this passage here in Luke 7, is that we have to cry at Jesus' feet. We have to cry at Jesus' feet. We don't know this woman's past. We don't know how or why she fell into this life of prostitution. Maybe it was extreme poverty that led her to begin to sell her body. Maybe it was the death of a loved one or abuse, or maybe it was just simply lust. But whatever it was, it was clear that there was a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of guilt and shame that was bottled up inside of her. It's clear that there was a lot of raw emotion that had constricted her heart and her mind that finally spilled out on the feet of Christ that day. It was all of this pent-up emotion that had culminated to cause those tears to fall out of her face and onto the feet of Jesus. All of her guilt and her shame showered and drenched his feet. And it's when we look at this story of the sinful woman that we can begin to see that our tears belong at Christ's feet. Our disappointment our failures, our shame, our guilt, our sadness, all of it needs to be surrendered at Christ's feet. Too often we experience devastating circumstances or tough situations, troubling times. It's when we feel like we've reached the end of the line, whenever our heart's just filled with an overwhelming sadness that seems like it may never end. And our first reaction in those, in those situations can be just to hold it all in to just drench ourselves in self-pity and to close ourselves off and just continue to be weighed down and just to be left alone in our misery. That's our first instinct. But the good news is 
that our difficult circumstances aren't something that we have to go through alone. When our tears fall on the feet of Jesus, they are not lost. Can I say that again? When our tears fall on the feet of Jesus, they are not lost. When our tears fall on the feet of Jesus, they are not lost. Christ hears your crying. He sees your tears. He feels your hurt. He understands your pain. With every pound of the hammer that drove his, the nails into his hands and feet, and every lash across the back, and every fist to the face, and every punch to the gut, Christ knows your suffering. When our tears fall on Christ's feet, he knows our cry. I love how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 56. He says this, You keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know. God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? According to this psalmist, God keeps track of each and every one of our sorrows. According to this psalmist, he collects our tears in a bottle, and he records each and every one. I want to remind you today that even though you might feel like you're walking through your particular circumstance alone, let me remind you this morning that Christ sees your tears He's keeping track of each and every one. When we bring our troubles and our fear and our shame and our sadness and we lay them at the feet of Jesus, when we cry at, our altar, at his altar, those tears are not lost, but, see, but instead each and every one is a prayer to God. Every tear that hits his feet and every tear that hits his altar is understood. It is a resounding boom in heaven. He hears your cry, but even more than that, he understands your cry. Our tears become our prayer. Before you even say a word, Christ knows what your tears mean. Just like the sinful woman in Luke 7, she doesn't say a word. There isn't a word in this passage that's recorded of her saying. She didn't have to say a word, but Christ saw her tears. He understood what they meant. He saw the shame and the guilt and the sadness behind each and every one. He saw her past. He saw her story behind each tear that hit his feet. And the same is true for us. Whenever we go through these difficult circumstances, whenever the tears begin to roll and roll and roll, the best place that we can put them is at Jesus' feet. If we do that, our tears are not lost, but instead he hears each and every one. He understands them, and Christ promises that he will meet you right where you are, and he'll begin to work in your situation if you call out to him. As I read this story and I was preparing for this sermon, I thought of just the one or two times I've ever cried in my life. Uh, the first was when I was born, and the second was when I saw Annie walk down the aisle. That's where you, oh, that's where that was supposed to go. My mother-in-law's in town, so every brownie point I earn kind of co- like counts for two. So I'm trying to rack up the points here while she's in town. So maybe I've cried more than just a couple of times. And I think about those times that I've cried and I went through difficult circumstances, and I've kind of retreated into myself, and I was, I was filled with self-pity, and I was filled with misery and sadness, and I kept it all to myself, and my tears were for me and me alone. When I think about those times, and I compare them to those other times when my tears fell on the pages of a Bible, when I encountered something more difficult than I thought I could bear, and I didn't know how I was going to get through it, or how I was going to reach the end, but rather than face it alone, I cried at the feet of Jesus. It was when I cried out to God with assurance that he heard me and he understood my tears. 
It was over here when I found more sadness and I found more loneliness and I found more helplessness because I kept it all to myself. But it was when I cried out to God and lifted up my sadness to him and cried at the feet of Jesus. It was when I was over here that I found strength and hope and comfort and I hear, heard God speak and I saw him work in my situ situation. It's when I cried at his feet that I found healing and I found peace. When we cry at the feet of Jesus, our tears are not lost, but instead they are heard, and they are understood, and Christ begins to work. Not only must we cry, must we cry at Jesus' feet, but according to this passage, I believe we must give up our possessions at Jesus' feet. Let's continue reading, verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This perfume in this alabaster jar was thought to be pretty expensive. Um, it was probably a privilege to even own such an object, such a luxurious perfume. Um, they were rare, and they were very expensive in the, in the ancient Far East at this time. I, I would venture to guess that this perfume was probably her most treasured item. She would have valued it very, very deeply. She, she had something that held such a great cost, but yet it compared to the glory of Christ, it paled in comparison. Even this expensive jar of perfume was not too expensive to be poured out on the feet of Christ. In a way, the pouring out of this costly perfume by the woman spoke to the sincerity of her actions here in Luke 7. She truly wanted to give Christ everything and all that she had. Even her most costly possession belonged at the feet of Jesus in a sense, I think that we're called to do the same. We're called to lay everything that we have down at the feet of Jesus. We're called to give him everything, to be used how he leads, to be done with how he desires to build his kingdom. Everything that we have, our possessions, our money, our family, our comfort, our time, all of it needs to be laid at the feet of Jesus. So my question for you this morning is, what in your life is off limits? The question for me this morning is, what in my life is off limits? You may be saying, you know, God, you can have whatever you want. You can take my car, you can take uh, my, my possessions, you can take whatever I have, but don't take my house. I love my house. It's comfortable, it's perfect for my family, it's got a two-car garage, it's perfect. Whatever you do, don't call us to downsize or move. God, you can have whatever you want, just don't take our house. Or maybe you're saying, God, you can have everything, you can have all my possessions, but whatever you do, don't take my time. I already don't have as much time as it is, God, and my time is really my only possession. So you can have whatever you want, but please let me do what I want with my time. My time's off limits. Or maybe you're saying, God, you can have anything you want, do whatever you want, but whatever you do, don't take away the comfort of my family. We live in a good home, we go to a good school, I have a good job. Don't take away our comfort right now. We're, we're at a perfect place in our lives. Whatever you do, my comfort is off limits. What in your life is off limits? To, to God. I think that in order to remove these boundaries we must give over, that we must, of what we must give over to God, we have to look at why the woman gave over her greatest possession in the first place. What were her intentions behind giving over this a jar of expensive perfume? Why did she do that? She could have easily left the perfume at home and simply come and washed his feet and just left it at that. Or maybe she could have, on her way, bought a less expensive perfume on the way and poured that on Jesus' feet. But instead, she pulled this expensive jar of perfume off the top shelf of her kitchen. She brought that along with her. Why would she do that? I think that the woman 
gave up her most prized and expensive possession out of a complete love and adoration for Jesus Christ. She loved him so, so much that there was nothing that could get in the way of that love. She loved him so much that she would give over anything to him. Before Annie and I got married, I had a lot of freedom to do whatever I wanted. Okay, if I wanted to stay up and really late and watch movies and play video games, I could. If I wanted to have a whole bag of Doritos for dinner, I could. If I wanted to blow all my money on food, candy, and games, I could. But I knew that if Annie and I got married, I would lose a lot of the, my freedom. I would lose a lot of the freedom that I had previously had before we got married. A lot of things that I normally did would have to change if I married Annie. I'd have to give a lot of that up. But the choice between my freedom and marrying the love of my life was an easy choice to make. That's four brownie points that I'm racked up just in this sermon alone, just FYI. Doing pretty good. It was a no contest. Because of the love and adoration that I had for Annie, I was ready and willing to give up my freedom just to be with her for the rest of my life. The same was true for the woman. She loved Jesus so much that between deciding between this expensive jar and perfume and maybe her only prized possession and the Lord and Savior who she loved so much, it was a no contest. She ready and willingly gave up all that she had to him. She didn't have to think about it. She gave it up willingly and easily because of her great love for her Savior. So if you're holding things out of bounds, if there's things that are off limits to God, if there are things in your life that you're holding back from God, You might have a heart problem. You might have to ask yourself, am I truly in love with the Savior that I come to know? Am I truly in love with Jesus Christ and the kingdom that he's building here on earth? We should be pouring everything that we have, our possessions, our times, our energy, our comfort, all of it, at the feet of Jesus because of our, our complete and utter love for him and what he's doing in the world. Not only are we called to cry at Jesus' feet, but we're also called to pour our possessions and, and pour our possessions down at Jesus' feet, but we're also called to lay our sins down at Jesus' feet. So let's continue reading. At verse 44, it says this. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her, her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, for many sins have been forgiven, as her great love is shown. But whoever has been given little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Because the woman came and she laid down her sins at Christ's feet, Jesus was able to forgive her. It was because she came with a spirit of humility and a spirit of repentance and faith and that Jesus was able to say those words, your sins are forgiven. No matter the chains that had previously held her or the shame that had filled her life, there was freedom in those words that Jesus spoke to her that day. No matter her past, no matter what she had done, no matter what sins or transgressions she had committed, the woman found life and she found forgiveness that Christ had ascended to her when she knelt down at his feet. It was the contrast of her life of sin and the holiness of Jesus that brought her down in front of, at his feet. The woman had faith that Christ's forgiveness was enough to cover her great sin. She had faith that Christ's grace was enough to work in her tore up, beat up life. 
And I think the same is true for each and every one of us in this room as it was for the woman. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, no matter how many times you have been forgiven, no matter how many times you've come forward and knelt to this altar and prayed that you'll never do it again, then you go back and you do it time and time and time again. God's grace and his forgiveness is enough for you. As I thought about this, I was reminded at our men's prayer breakfast on Thursday of this verse. It says this. It's from 2 Corinthians. It says, my, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. God is speaking that to each and every one of us. My grace is sufficient for you. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, no matter how many addictions that you've had, no matter how many times you've tripped up, no matter how big you think your sin is, no matter how inescapable it might feel, God's grace is enough for you. It's sufficient for you. God's grace is so big. His forgiveness is so powerful. His love is so potent that there's nothing that you can do to escape it. There's no distance you can travel for his love that his grace and forgiveness won't bring you back. As I thought about this idea of sufficient grace, I was reminded of when I was back in middle school and high school, and each one of the kids had their own chore that they had to do every day. And my chore was to take out the trash. And Annie would say, I still don't do that even to this day, but my chore was to take out the trash. And so what I would do is I would gather up the trash, and I would take it downstairs, and I would take it outside to the trash cans and throw it in, obviously. But uh, it seemed like every other day, I would go out to take the trash out, and the cans would be fallen over, and the trash inside would be poured out, and there would be food everywhere and trash everywhere all outside. And so I'd have to scoop up all that trash back into the trash cans and then throw the trash away. And that happened like day after day after day. And week after week, I'd have to come outside, and there'd be trash over there, and I'd pick it up. And we knew who the culprit was. Um, it was our neighbor's dog. And the neighbor's dog's name was Hoosier. And our neighbor would never tie up Hoosier. He'd never keep him on a leash, never uh, keep him inside. He was an outside dog. And Hoosier would just roam the neighborhood. And he would do this to house after house after house. He'd knock over their cans, pull the trash out, rip it up. And so after, you know, a few months of this, of having to put the trash back in, I got so mad at Hoosier. And I remember Dad was working in the garage uh, right by where the trash cans were. And I walked out, and the trash was everywhere, and I was like, oh, come on. So then I went over to Dad, and I was like, Dad, like, this happens every single day. It's been, this has been going on for months. I was like, can you not just go over to our neighbor? Can you not just go over there and tell him just to keep Hoosier locked up? Can you not just tell him just to tie him up so this doesn't happen? Like, you got to do something. This is ridiculous. And it, this was like seven or eight years ago, and I never forgot what my dad said. Dad says, it's called grace, son. It's called grace. That no matter how many times Hoosier would come again and again and again, and he would knock over our trash cans, that we would kept on, keep on extending grace to our neighbor again and again and again. And I was taught a lesson in grace that day. Because sometimes I've been a lot like Hoosier. I've sinned again and again and again. And I've fallen into the same traps again and again and again. But God's grace was sufficient that just like what dad said that day, we have to extend our grace to our neighbor, that God extends a grace to us even though we trip up again and again and again, even though we mess up in big, big ways. God's grace is sufficient for us. Just like that woman who had traveled so far from God and done horrible things and sinned against God and man, it took one encounter with Christ. It took approaching him and laying at his feet. It took tears and humility to hand over to Christ all of her guilt and her shame and her sin. And even though her sin was great, 
And even though she fell into the same sin again and again and again, God's grace and his forgiveness was greater for her. His grace was sufficient. So she was able to rise from his feet, and he was able to say, your sins are forgiven. My grace is greater than all your sin. My grace for you is sufficient. My forgiveness for you is sufficient. And he will say the same to you. But we have to sit down at his feet with a spirit of humility and with repentance. We'd have faith that his love is greater. Maybe you've been here, this, maybe you're here this morning, and you've been a Christian for a long time. You've already been saved. You are, you've already offered up your life to Christ. But maybe you've been living your life forgetting what God has done for you. I think John Bunyan put it best in this quote. He said, there are abundance of dry-eyed Christians in the world and an abundance of dry-eyed duties too, duties that never were rutted with the tears of contrition and repentance, nor ever sweetened with the great sinner's box of ointment. Too many times, Christians today look a lot more like Simon than they look like the sinful woman. Too many Christians today are living their lives with dry eyes. They're no longer weeping at Jesus' feet, but instead they sit across from him from their table with their arms crossed. Too many Christians today, like Simon, have misunderstood what God is and what he desires for them. We have forgotten what it was like to sit at Jesus' feet. We've forgotten what it was like to cry at Jesus' feet and to pour out everything that we have at Jesus' feet. If you've been a Christian for a while, I want to encourage you to remember that time that you came forward and you laid at Jesus' feet and that great burden that weighed down on your shoulders, you took that off and you gave it over to Jesus, that shame, that guilt, that sin. There was a day that you did that. There was a day that tears poured down your face because of your great sin and the holiness of God. And there was a day that he removed that burden from you and you felt the weight lift from your shoulders and he filled you with his spirit. There was a day that that happened. I, I encourage you to remember what Christ has done for you this morning and give him thanks. Don't continue to be a dry-eyed Christian. But I also want to encourage you this morning that if you're here today and you do feel crushed by the weight of your sin and you feel trapped, if you're here this morning and you feel like you can't get away from these chains of sin that are wrapped around you, wait no longer. Today is the day to seek Jesus. Maybe you feel a hunger for, for God's grace and you desire to be changed by God and invite him into your life. Today is the day to find him. Today is the day to come to his feet to lay down at his feet and let the tears of guilt and of shame fall at his feet, to allow him to fill you with his grace and allow him to wipe away your tears and your transgressions and your sin and allow him to release that weight off your shoulders of your shame and your guilt. It is at Jesus' feet, at these altars where hope is found. It is there that freedom's found. I want to encourage you this morning that if you don't know Jesus this morning, come this morning and find purpose, find a new identity, find a savior who loves you more than you could possibly imagine, whose grace is sufficient to cover the multitudes of sins that you might have, no matter how many times you've done it. Maybe you feel like Hoosier too about coming to the trash again and again and again. God's grace is sufficient for you today. Come this morning and find forgiveness and grace at Jesus' feet. Find new life in him. Today is the day. Wait no longer. Not only are we called to cry, to give up our possessions, to lay down our sin all at Jesus' feet, but we're also called to find grace at Jesus' feet. As I thought about this title of this sermon, Grace Revealed, I thought about those two words, grace revealed, and I began to ask myself this question, where in this passage 
of the sinful woman is grace revealed. Where do we see the grace of Christ revealed in a new way in this passage? And I believe that in this passage, the only place that grace is revealed is at Jesus' feet. And it was true for the sinful woman, and it's true for us today. If you want to experience God's grace, the only place that is found is at Jesus' feet. The only way we can experience the grace that God has for us because of, is because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Grace is revealed at Jesus' feet. I want to ask you this morning, do you want to hear God's voice? Do you want to be molded and changed by him? Do you want him to work in your specific situation, in your circumstance? Do you want his grace to be at work in your life? Do you want to look more like Christ? The only place that we see true revelation of grace and true changing grace is at the feet of Jesus. It's when we kneel at his feet in humility and openness, just like the sinful widow, and we pour out our hearts and our eyes run over with tears. It's when we lay down our burdens of sin and shame as we come and kneel at Jesus' feet that we can experience the grace that Jesus has to offer. Do you want to experience the grace that Christ has to reveal to you? Then come to his feet and kneel down. That is where grace is found. It was true for the woman in Luke 7, and it's true for us even today. And I feel like so many times we look other places when all the time right here at Christ's feet is where, where grace can truly be found. As I begin to think about this, I begin to think about Annie. I'm sorry, we don't have kids, so if you don't have kids, then all of your illustration just comes from your spouse. I've used Annie a lot. I thought of Annie. And um, if you know Annie, you know Annie is a second grade teacher at Columbus Christian. <clears throat> And I began to think about the kids in her classroom. You know, they each have their own individual desk, and they're sitting there. Um, and when they're sitting there at their desk, if a problem arises um, with another student, if they're being bullied, if they have a trouble with their homework, if they had a bad day at home the night before, if they're having trouble with a problem, um, all they have to do is stand up from their desk and walk over to Annie's desk. And that's where they can find the answers those so desperately wanted. So many times I feel like I feel like a student in Annie's classroom. I feel like there's people around me who are like students in Annie's classroom and they're struggling with a problem in their life or they had a really bad day at school and they, they need they, they, they're, they're going through a difficult circumstance and they're just sitting at their desk when all the time all they have to do is walk over to Annie's desk and when they walk to Annie's desk Annie's there and she offers comfort and she wraps her hands around those students and she's offering questions to their answers and she's helping them and guiding them. And too many times we're like those students and we're sitting at our desk we're dealing with problems and situations. And all we have to do is stand up and walk to the feet of Jesus. And just like those students, it's at the feet of Jesus where we can find comfort, where the hands of Christ can wrap around us and offer us comfort and joy. And they're there at the feet of Jesus are the answers to our questions. And it's there at the feet of Jesus where we can find hope and we can find joy. But too many times we just stay sitting at our desk and we try to deal with the problem on our own, or we keep it inside. But we need to stand up, and we need to go, just like any students, we need to go to the one who knows more than we do. We need to go to the feet of Jesus. So Pastor Travis is going to come, and he's going to sing um, just a short song. And I don't know where you are this morning. Uh, maybe you're here this morning, you feel like nothing's really going right in your life. You may feel like you're treading water, like your life and your world spinning out of control. 
Maybe you feel like you've been doing a lot more crying than laughing lately. Maybe it's time that you come forward and you kneel at Christ's feet and let you let your tears fall on his altar. Maybe it's time that you come and you cry at Jesus' feet this morning and you hear Christ saying to you, I know what you're feeling. I understand your pain. I know your suffering. Maybe you need to hear him saying, I've kept track of your tears. I know your sorrows. Let me help you. Maybe you need to come and you need to cry at Jesus' feet this morning. Maybe you realize in your life you've kept a lot of things off limits. You've held things back from God and you haven't truly been all in. Maybe you need to come forward this morning and you need to lay everything that you have, your possessions, your time, your money, your comfort, and you need to lay it at his feet this morning and watch how he uses it for your good and for his glory. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel crushed by the weight of your sin. Maybe you want to come forward this morning you want to find Jesus for the first time. Maybe you desire to be changed by God and you want to invite him into your life. Maybe you want to feel the weight and the burden of sin be lifted off your shoulder and you want to invite Christ into your life. That's found at Jesus' feet this morning at these altar. I invite you to come forward and to pray this morning. And I'd love to pray with you and Pastor Travis would be happy to pray for you. Would you come and find Jesus this morning if that's your heart today? Maybe you realize you've related a lot more to Simon in that passage than you did to the woman. Maybe you forgot what it was like to cry at Jesus' feet Maybe you've been a dry-eyed Christian for too long and you want to come down to this altar and ask God to renew your heart, renew your passion for him and renew his work within you. He's faithful. He'll do that this morning if we ask him. Or maybe you simply want to experience the grace of God. Maybe there's a question that you need the answer to that you've been praying a lot for. It's time to come to the feet of Jesus where grace is revealed. Maybe you want him to work in your situation, or you want him to look more like Christ and be molded into him. Would you come this morning and kneel at the feet of Jesus and find the grace that you so desperately need and that God so desperately wants to give you? Will you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray a short prayer, and if you feel led, would you please come? Joy of Father, we're here this morning, Lord, because we want to hear your voice. We want to be changed by you, God. We want to see your grace revealed, Lord. And we know that the revealing of your grace comes only at your feet, Lord. So I just pray that there's anybody in this room that needs to experience your grace in a new way. I ask that they would just come and kneel at your altar, Lord. Speak to us, God. We ask this in your name. As Travis sings.